Good morning, uh, Joss Ferry. What a privilege it is to worship together. I want to welcome everyone in our sanctuary, also the folks who may be tuning in from uh, wherever you are on the internet. Love having everyone here today. I want to say happy Father's Day to all you dads and granddads, and what a great day it is. Our gift to you was by uh, was to not give you a photo booth, so you don't have to take any pictures or anything. That's our gift to you. Happy Father's Day. Um, yeah, praise the Lord. So. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13 today. Uh, we're wrapping up after 27 messages uh, this, this just amazing book. So if you would turn to Hebrews step, chapter 13, as you're turning there, let me give a word of encouragement to our church family, especially if you're you know, a part of the Johnson Ferry family. So not this week, but next week is one of the more pivotal weeks in the life of our church because it's the week that we do our Vacation Bible School, our VBS. Now, if you've grown up around church, you may just take that for granted, but so many people, so many people uh, come to Christ before the age of 18, and, and look, we love being a multi-generational church, but we do have a bias towards our kids and our students simply because we know the stakes are so high, so it's a really pivotal week. I wanna encourage you as a church to be praying for our VBS, and also, if you have kids that you haven't yet registered or maybe kids in your neighborhood that you love to come with your kids, uh, make that invite this week. You can still register them. Also, I wanna encourage some of you to get out of your comfort zone and serve, uh, be a leader, make a difference in the lives of the next generation. You can go to our website, and on our website, there's a, there's a new little tab that's called The Hub, and you can just go to The Hub and find information about VBS and a bunch of other stuff so please pray about that, and uh, I hope that you'll get involved. In this series, through Hebrews, we've called it the race, as that is a fitting analogy. And so throughout the series, I've given you stories of runners. Many of you are runners. You have your own stories to tell, marathons that you have run, different competitions that you've done. And, uh, but also know that there's probably a good amount of you in today's crowd who are not runners. Can I just get a witness? Is anybody not a runner? All right, so yeah. So it's like most of you, all right. So uh, I have a few quotes from about running that I thought maybe you might have said or you would think. For instance, non-runners, this is what they tend to think. Uh, running is a mental sport and you're all insane. That's what some people might say about running. One person said, one of my biggest fears is that I'll marry into a family that runs 5Ks on holidays. I don't know if that's <laughs> true, true for you. I love this one. A day without running is like, just kidding, I have no idea what a day without running, running is like. Someone said, the older I get, the faster I was, which is probably true for a lot of people. This is my absolute favorite. What I love most about running is walking the whole time. So we've talked about running a lot because it is a fitting analogy for the book of Hebrews. Uh, and so this is how we divided up the series. We've thought about what does it take to run a great race, and then how does that relate to us running our race for Jesus? So these are four Ps that we have given throughout the series just to run well. This is just literally running. How would you run well? Well, it would take purpose. Why am I running? What's the goal of the running? Is it to get faster? Is it to complete a certain distance? That kind of thing. I gotta prepare, I gotta have a strategy to run well. I can't just kind of feel my way through it. Pace, I've gotta get stronger. I've gotta increase my ability to run for a long distance or at a faster pace. And then perseverance, the goal of running the race is not to quit. Now, in many ways, those are appropriate for those of us who are followers of Jesus, 
to think about our relationship with him. And today affords the opportunity to look at the book of Hebrews as a way of not only looking at the last five verses, but to look back at some of the larger themes that have been presented throughout this book slash letter slash sermon, whatever it is that we call Hebrews. Several months ago, when we began this series, we, we used an illustration that the writer to the Hebrews uses quite a bit, and that's the illustration of the Old Testament saints. Now, you may remember that God frees them from slavery. Moses, like a shepherd, leads them to the promised land, though they never get to the promised land because of their own sin and their rebellion. And the author of Hebrews, who we don't know who he is from a human perspective, we know God is ultimately the author of scripture, he uses a story to say, don't, don't be like them. Don't forfeit all that God wants in your life. Run your race well. In fact, in Hebrews 12, he'll make mention of that, of running your race with Jesus. So in this final message, I've entitled, Finish This Race, we want to look at the last five verses of Hebrews 13, the whole book, and then we want to just look back at the, some of the larger themes that have been presented in this book. And I'd like for you to think about, not just today, but this week, what has God taught me about him through this book called Hebrews? Let's look at Hebrews 13, 20 through 25. And uh, if you are physically able, let's stand together. I'd love to read for you Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 25. You can see, at least, well, you can't see. I don't know what your translation's like. My, my English version here has the word benediction over the last five verses. So in a way, these are like a final blessing, as it were, to this church. Verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, that is Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. But I urge you, brothers and sisters, listen patiently to this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Father, as we wrap up this book today, I pray that as we pray every Sunday, you would speak to us through your word. God, would we not merely be involved in some kind of Bible curiosity project but God, may we see this as your word and the vehicle by which you speak to us through your spirit. So God, would you once again speak to us as the people of Johnson Ferry through your word today and help us to do and to be all that you want us to do and all that you want us to be. Lord, we give this time to you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So these last few verses are some of the more personal in the entire book. In fact, if you look down in verse 22, we see a pronoun that hasn't been used throughout the whole book, I. The author is making mention of himself. 
as I said a minute ago, we don't know who the human author is of Hebrews. There's been lots of speculation. Some have said it was Paul. Some said Apollos. Uh, I had a professor in seminary who made a very compelling case that Luke is the author of Hebrews. But we don't fully know. We do know that he has written this to a church made up largely of Jewish Christians. In other words, these are men and women, boys and girls, that grew up Jewish, and they have come to see Jesus as the Messiah. And he says in verse 22, I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, to listen patiently to this word of exhortation. What's the word of exhortation? That's probably a reference to the entire book of Hebrews. Everything that he has just said, and to patiently listen to it. Now, we don't know a lot about who the author is. One thing we do know about him is that he was a preacher. You might go, how do I know he was a preacher? Well, if you, if you take the book of Hebrews, and this afternoon you went back to chapter one, verse one, and you just started reading all the way through chapter 13, verse 25, it would take you about an hour-ish to read the book of Hebrews. The reason I know this is a preacher, because only a preacher would call something that took an hour to read a brief word of exhortation. Amen. Yeah, yeah, you be quiet. <laughs> so, I do not receive that in the name of Jesus. All right, so. But he says, listen patiently to this word of exhortation. What I wanna do is I want us to look at verse 20 through 25. I want us to think about those four Ps I just said, and not only just look through what he says here in these five verses, but look back at some of the larger themes that we have discovered throughout the book of Hebrews. So how, how do we finish this race? And that metaphor I'm using to say, how do we run this race of life well with Jesus? How do we do all the things that God wants us to do? Well, first, let's look, number one, at this idea of purpose. And by purpose in the text, it means this, to do his will in his power. That's what purpose here is, to do his will in his power. If you're a good runner, you start running with some sense of purpose. The purpose might be to get in better shape. The purpose might be to lose weight. The purpose might be to complete a 5K or a half marathon or a marathon. But if you're going to be a good runner, you have some purpose, some why that's driving you to run. In the Christian life, we have to have a why as well. Why are we running in the way that we are? Now, this text says something about God's purpose. Verse 20 and 21, if you, if you compile all that together, and there's a lot of different phrases and clauses and things in there, it, it essentially is this one simple idea. Verse 20, now may God, verse 21, equip you to do his will. Now there's a lot of other things said there, and we're gonna get to those things, but that is the main subject and verb of the sentence. May God equip you to do his will. What is God's purpose for our life? It is to do his will. And here we're talking about his will in his power. God equips us. The word equip is also a word that's sometimes used for the word mend. You may think about a reference to the disciples' New Testament, mending their nets. If you're a professional fisherman and the the fishing net breaks, you have to mend it, you have to fix it. The word for equip is the same word that was used in the ancient world for setting a bone back into place. Maybe you have had the unfortunate um, occurrence of a bone 
coming out of joint that had to be popped back into its place. Or maybe you've seen a professional athlete who had a bone come out of joint, had to put it back into place. It's the same word for equip. So what this text is saying is that this God wants to equip you. He wants to mend you. He wants to put in right places in your life all the things possible that you could do his will. That's God's purpose, that you would do his will. That's what God wants for us. This reminds me very much of Ephesians 2.10. This is what that verse says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You may know this, but the word workmanship is the word poema. We think about the English word poem. As if, as if God, like a skillful artisan, has crafted in each and every single one of this, this artistic portrait of all that he wants to accomplish. We are God's poem. We are God's workmanship. We are God's vessel by which his will is being accomplished in the earth, which is just amazing when you think about that. That though we have a lot in common, we are all uniquely made by a God who has a purpose in our life. And God wants his purpose to be accomplished. That's why we say, what is our purpose in life? It is to do his will in his way. To do his will in his power. I was reading a book uh, with our staff last year by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. He was talking about being an emotionally healthy leader. And, and he said so many great things in that book. But one thing I love, he said, he said, the Christian life ultimately comes down to two things. I mean, there's more to it than just these two things, but these are the two central tenets of living the Christian life. Say, so what are they? He said, number one, it's the ability to clearly hear from the Lord, and number two, it's the courage to do what he tells you to do. And if you think about it, the whole Christian life really boils down to those two things, the ability to hear from the Lord and the courage to do what he's telling us to do. God says, your purpose in life as a follower of Jesus is to do my will, and I'm going to equip you with every good thing to do my will. So yes, we see that it's his will, but we also need to think about his power. What do we learn in this text about the power of God? Let's just look at some of these phrases and clauses here. Go back to verse 20. Now may the God of Peace, interesting word. One of the central ideas in the book of Hebrews is that through the sufficient ministry of Jesus, God has made peace with all those who come to him. Sometimes we say things like, especially here in the South, in the Bible Belt, whatever's left of the Bible Belt in the South, we say things like, uh, you know, I was born a Christian. And by that you mean you grew up around Christian influences or Christian parents but according to the scriptures, no one is ever born a Christian. Now, you may be born into a Christian environment, people who love Jesus, your parents, your family, that kind of thing, wonderful. But no one is born a Christian. In fact, we are all born sinners who deserve, as Ephesians and other texts tell us, the wrath of God, the separation of ourselves to God because of our sin. The great news of the book of Hebrews, in fact, the entire redemptive story of Jesus, is that now God has made peace with those who were rebelling against him. And that we can now have access to God through Jesus Christ when we repent of our sin and we put our faith and trust in what he has done for us. Jesus Christ 
is God's rescue mission to make peace where there was enmity. He says of his power, he's a God of peace. And then he says, who brought up from the dead. Now, if I were to ask you, class, when you hear the phrase, brought up from the dead, what event are you thinking about? The resurrection. And it's not a trick question, because it's not a wrong answer. But one thing I hope you've seen in the book of Hebrews is that the author wants us to see beyond the resurrection, not diminishing the resurrection, but to see beyond the resurrection to what he talks about was the exaltation and then the session of Jesus. Now, if I just went over your head, when we think about the ministry of Jesus, yes, he died on a cross, he was buried, he was raised, but then 40 days later, I don't know the hand signal for that, he was ascended you know, to the Father, and then he sits at the right, I don't know what the hand movement after that is, but, but that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews, to talk about where is Jesus right now? Not just what did Jesus do 2,000 years ago, but what is he doing right now? And Psalm 110 is a, is a text that he quotes again and again and again. Psalm 110.1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Amen. So we see that God wants us to do his will in his power, the same power that brings peace, the same power that exalts the Son of God into the right hand of his fellowship, the same God that's worthy of glory and honor. We are to have that purpose. You know, as our mission statement, we, we often say uh, we exist to help people find truth, belonging, and purpose in Jesus. Now, that word purpose is a very popular word today. And people often talk about finding their purpose. And often, not always, but often what people mean by that, finding my purpose, is something that has to do with kind of self-actualization. Like, I'm trying to find the thing that makes me happy. I'm trying to find the thing that makes me content. I'm trying to find the thing that, uh, in some cases, even provides income for my, my life. Just, you tend to be at the center of finding your purpose. But according to God, your purpose is never merely about you. It's about what God wants to do through you to help reach others. That's why, John Ferry, when we talk about purpose, we mean things like evangelism and missions and sharing the gospel with people who have never heard about Jesus. That's God's great purpose for your life. So as we set to run this race, you have to have a purpose. What's your purpose in life? According to this text, it is simply put, to do the will of God, or as we said, to do his will in his power. So we have our purpose. All right, runners, we're gonna keep running. Number two, let's talk about how we're gonna prepare to run this race. One of the themes that has been presented throughout the entire book again and again and again might be said like this. When we prepare, what's it mean? It means that we keep our focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. If you're gonna run well, you have to have some kind of a strategy to keep you going. We've all been there where we thought, it's a new year, I'm gonna get in shape. And you know what happens, you get up and you run and you feel pretty good first day, feeling good. You run the second day, you feel okay. The third day, not so great. By the fourth day, you're back to sleeping in again. All right, can I get a witness? Anybody been there? Is it just me? And, and the problem is, 
that most of us will never be successful if we simply go by feel. Because there are some days we just don't feel like running. There are certainly days we don't feel like exercising. Well, the Christian life is, ne is never merely just feeling your way through every single day. You have to have some kind of preparation, some type of strategy. And this text tells us over and over again that we are to look to Jesus. Even in verse 20 and 21, how many references are there to Jesus? May the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, that is Jesus our Lord. May he equip you to do every good thing in his will, working in that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, there it is again, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. This book tells us that Jesus is the one we are to look to. Hebrews 12, one, such a great reminder of this. You may even have this verse memorized. It goes like this, let us Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on whom? What's the answer? Yeah, you're in church. You're gonna get that right about 80% of the time. <laughs> Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then notice how he describes him. The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. When he says the word pioneer, it's the word for leader. The one who goes first. He's the example. He's the one blazing the trail. He's the one that we are looking to. Interesting that in verse 20, he refers to him as the great shepherd of the sheep. Moses was often, often thought to be the great shepherd. In fact, there's a verse in Isaiah, I think it's 63, that says that Moses, like a shepherd, led the people out of slavery into the wilderness. But Jesus is greater than even Moses, and he is the great shepherd that Jesus brought up from the dead and accomplished his will through the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, now the book of Hebrews is difficult for a lot of us to really, to really feel in the way that we should, and that's because most of us, not all, but probably 99% of us in our rooms today, even watching online, 99% of us did not grow up Jewish. Most of us did not grow up keeping the old covenant, religious festivals, calendar. But these are people in the book of Hebrews who grew up keeping those festivals. These are people who grew up going to the temple. These are people who grew up still sacrificing animals for their sins, these types of things. Can you imagine what it must have felt like to have someone stand up to you and say something as revolutionary as what he said in Hebrews 8 when he used this word, 8.13. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Think about that. In light of the eternal covenant that God has made with Jesus, the first covenant made with Israel has now been made obsolete. That is a mind-shattering statement, particularly if you grew up Jewish. It is obsolete, and he says, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is about to disappear. What he's saying is that in Jesus, we don't merely just have a new covenant or merely just a different covenant, but notice the word he used in verse 20, we have the eternal covenant. 
This is God's last covenant. There's no more plan C. This is the plan by which God is redeeming the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's available to all people. And so because we look to Jesus and we learn from Jesus in a book like Hebrews, we are to think about all the things that God has given us in Jesus. I hope that as one of the big takeaways from this book, you have been, you have been reminded of so many of the good things that you have because of Jesus. In fact, let me just, let me just give you a, a few. These are five of 500, perhaps, that we could think of from the book. For instance, because of Jesus, notice what you have in this eternal covenant. Good things include cleansing from sin, Hebrews 9. Your sins are completely forgiven. Hebrews 10, you have the ability to approach God, not with a hypocritical heart, but with a sincere heart, because God has changed your heart. In Hebrews 10, it talks about how we have a new desire to follow God's laws. In Hebrews 4, you have grace and mercy in a time of need. A lot of you today come in here in a time of need. You're going through a difficult circumstance in life. You're going through a difficult challenge. And you have a, you have a King Jesus sitting on the throne who right now wants to give you grace and mercy right now in your time of need. Because of Christ, first chapter 12, it says that we have an unshakable kingdom. This world that we are in is constantly shaking with constant problems and constant friction and constant political instability and countries at war with another and cancer and natural disasters and diseases. And we could go on and on how shakable this world is, but aren't you glad that in Jesus we have an unshakable kingdom? We are to look to Jesus because of all the good things that he has done and that he is doing. And let me just say, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't have the joy, the contentment, satisfaction that your soul is longing for that can only be met in Jesus. I want to plead with you to repent of your sin and put your trust in him. Know that he died on the cross for your sin. Know that he was raised from the grave, that you might have a newness of life, and then he was ascended and exalted and sits at the right hand, ready to come back again so that you might have eternal life with him. Turn to Jesus. But I also hope that this book has reminded you of the present priestly ministry of Jesus right now. You know, sometimes when we talk about Jesus, it's all past tense. This is what Jesus did. He died on the cross. And that's great. I'm not diminishing anything he did on the cross. But Hebrews has taught us about what Jesus is doing right now. Right now. Right now, he's listening to us worship. Right now, he's watching our reactions. Right now, he is, he's engaging with us in the word of God, giving grace and mercy, the present ministry of Jesus. I hope that the book of Hebrews has made Jesus even more precious to you. And you have a fuller, more robust knowledge of who the Son of God is after studying this great word of exhortation. So our preparation is to keep our focus on Jesus. All right, number three, let's talk about pace. When I think about pace in our race with Jesus, we are to see challenges as opportunities. Ideally, the longer you run, the better you run. Ideally, the longer you run, the faster you run. 
That first time you go out to run for a jog, it's hard, and you feel like you need to quit in the first few minutes. But what's amazing is if you just keep at it and go through the discipline and the grind that it takes to be a better runner, in a short, what, month or two, you can become a lot better runner if you'll just see that challenge as an opportunity to grow. Someone gave me a name a few weeks ago about a, a famous runner, and look, I, I didn't grow up, I'm not like a huge runner, so I don't know a lot of running stories, but it has been fascinating throughout the series, just by way of illustrations, to introduce you to some world-class runners. Um, an interesting story is, is a runner that won the 1960 Olympics in Rome. He was an Ethiopian runner named uh, Abebe Bekila. I don't know if you know this name at all, but as you see him running, and he would eventually win, what, what stands out to you about Abebe Bekila? Anything? Yeah, he's barefoot. Now, he did that way before that was cool to do that today. In fact, when he was trained to run, he wore shoes. It was normal to wear shoes like it is now normal to wear shoes. He wore shoes, but his shoes blew out, and he could not find any that were comfortable that wouldn't keep giving him blisters. And so instead of dropping out of the race, he just decided he would run the race barefoot, and he won. And I love stories like that because here's a guy who has a challenge that would make him want to quit, but he saw it as an opportunity, and he won his race. A lot of times in the Christian life, when we come up against challenges, we want to quit. A lot of times we think, hey God, if I, as long as I'm doing good, then I'm going to do well. That's what people tend to think. And if I'm not doing well, in other words, if I'm going through something difficult right now, something that, that's hard for me, something I don't understand, I'm, if I'm not doing well, it must mean that I'm not doing good. God, maybe I'm messing up somewhere. But the book of Hebrews was written to people that were being persecuted. It was written to people that were going through a challenging time. More challenging than many of us in this room. And yet, the reminder was to see the discipline of God in a different way. In fact, if you just flip back to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, notice what it talks about when it says discipline. Imagine how this would have sounded to people being persecuted for their faith. Verse 7 It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. Interesting text to read on Father's Day. We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, meaning the earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant but painful. Isn't that true? All discipline in, the, in that moment, it doesn't feel, doesn't feel pleasant, you know, pleasant, it's painful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What I want you to see is this. What God wants in your life is for you to share in his holiness. According to that text, what God wants in your, your life is for you to bear fruit in accordance with his righteousness. But you also need to see in that text that the process by which God will bring about that product is usually challenges 
and difficulties and what he calls discipline. Let me just give a word of encouragement to dads. I know that on Father's Day, dads kind of get beat up, like, you know, go do better. Do better than you're doing. And maybe that's a word that some of us need to hear. I just wanna encourage you dads just to think about the incredible role you play in the lives of your kids, your grandkids. Help them see what it looks like to embrace challenges and to let those challenges drive you to be closer to the Lord. They're gonna learn a lot of lessons from you in life when times are good. The greatest lessons they will learn from you is how you handle the challenges that God allows to come into your life. And if you're a dad, just recognize the incredible privilege and responsibility you have to shape your kids and your grandkids so they see this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, not just when times are easy, but particularly when times are hard. That's how we increase our pace. That's how we get stronger as runners. We embrace discipline and we see challenges as opportunities. So we've talked about purpose, we've talked about preparation, we've talked about pace, we've got one more, perseverance. Number four, perseverance. What's that look like in the book of Hebrews? It means that we have to depend on others in the body of Christ. Maybe you've seen uh, professional runners who run races, and it's actually pretty exciting if you watch some of the, the best racers around the world because they have what they call a kick. I don't know if you've seen this, but often in the last lap, they have this gear. It's like they have this reserve they've been holding on to, and so they run their strongest and fastest at the end, and it's a lot of fun as a spectator just to watch these elite runners have this extra gear as they finish the finish line. How do we run in such a way so that we're running our strongest the older we get. How do we get so that we're running our best in the later years of life? I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but one of the key ways the book of Hebrews has reminded us to do it is to make sure that we have others in our life that are helping us to live the life Jesus wants us to live. You know, running is often an isolated sport. We do it alone. But in the book of Hebrews, we've seen the power of we, that we is greater than me. Notice in verse 24 and 25, as he ends the whole book, he says, greet all of your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy greet you, grace be with you all. Let me just talk about that a little bit. We don't know if the reference to Italy means that this church was in Italy or that there were a church from Italy that was now outside of Italy. But he says that the command in verse 24, greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Now, I don't think he's just saying, hey, look, y'all be nice to people, like when they pass you on the street, hey, how you doing, greet them. I think the challenge is that we, we make sure that we're involved in the lives of, of all of our leaders and all the saints, we're doing this together, persevering. I don't know about like you, but I, I have just been horrified over the last, I don't know, 10 years, watching so many Christian leaders, most of them are men, who have fallen morally. And their ministries have come crumbling down and they've been disqualified from ministry. Doesn't mean they're not still Christians. But they're not useful in the way they used to be and often, but not always, often when they have some time to reflect on what went wrong and look back at their life, one of the things that they will often say is this. 
I was totally alone. They didn't have anyone in their life to encourage them, no one in their life that could challenge them, no one in their life to whom they were accountable. And when we get alone, bad things can happen. Did you know that we need each other in the body of Christ? And one of the great ways that we can persevere to stick with Jesus is to stick with one another. That's why the community of faith is so vitally important, and I've said this a million times, but church is not an event we come to. Church is a family to which we belong. Are you a part of the family? Are you part of the body? Or are you just kind of doing this on your own? We need each other. In fact, before we end our service today, I, I would love for us to just reflect on one verse that I think really encapsulates why we need each other. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 10. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts this text. And, and I'm gonna ask that we will all do something together just as a way of us reminding one another of the power of this verse. And that's in both rooms. Uh, would we just stand together? I want us to read this out loud. And then we'll respond through worship. It's such a great verse to remind us of why we need each other. So I just wonder, could we all read this out loud together? Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I don't know when Christ is coming back, but I know it's near. And until that day, we need to encourage one another in the things of Jesus and to keep pointing our eyes towards him. I hope that as we have wrapped up this amazing book in the Bible, that you have had your eyes freshly pointed to who Jesus is. I think it'd be appropriate to respond to him by singing of who he is, but let me first lead us in a prayer. Father God, we just thank you for today and I thank you for the people here today. I thank you for, God, this fresh reminder of who you are. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. You are a living hope. Thank you, God, that you suffered on the cross for us, the son of suffering. And therefore, we can say all hail King Jesus, all praise to King Jesus, because right now you are sitting at the right hand of the Father. Right now, you are listening to us sing. Right now, you are watching us worship. And right now, in your own perfect time, you are preparing the world to come back again so that we could have eternal life with you in the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever, not because we are good, but because you are good. Not because we have done good things, but because you have done good things. And this eternal covenant has been granted to us through the Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we pray to you, and what a joy it is to get to sing to you. And so we'll all do that in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.